Will you join me in prayer as I pray Psalm 92 today? Just bow your heads with me and pray. It's good to praise the Lord, Father, to make music to your name, O Most High. We proclaim your love in the morning. We're not going to stop until we proclaim your faithfulness at night. For you have made us glad by your deeds, Lord. So we sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. You are forever exalted. God, make us, as your word says, to flourish like a palm tree in the house of our God so that we will bear fruit for the kingdom, so that we will be fresh and green even in our old age, Lord. We have known you from our youth. We will know you for our lifetimes. We will know you for all eternity. And Lord, we pray that we will end our lives saying the Lord is upright. You are our rock and there is no wickedness in you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please be seated. So good to worship with you today. How are you doing with forgiveness? I don't mean receiving forgiveness from God. I mean offering forgiveness to others. Recent survey, study online, the science of us, 17 things they learned about forgiveness. Most interesting to me about their study, they studied several different varieties, animal species, and many different primates actually practice forgiveness. What's interesting is the one animal they found that never forgives, anybody know? Anybody know? A house cat. Which is another reason why I no, I won't even say it. But one, one of my one of my sons moves off to Arkansas and he gets he gives away his dog and he gets a cat. And I was like, aren't you allergic to cats? He said, no. I said, but I'm allergic to cats. And he said, I know. Now, I don't even know what to do with that. I'm not even sure what that means. He moves to another state and he gets a cat. Look, I'm not here this morning to tell you not to get a cat. I'm here to tell you this morning not to be a cat. Are we together? Forgiveness. July the 8th, 1838, Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States, comes forward in the invitation and says to the pastor of the Presbyterian Church, I am ready to confess my faith in Christ. The pastor talks with him about his convictions, about his conversion and says, one last question, general. Are you willing to forgive all of your enemies? And Jackson was shocked by that question. He said, I'm willing to forgive all of my political enemies but not my military enemies who were trying to do me harm on the battlefield. No, I'm not ready. And the pastor said, are you prepared today to so receive the grace of God and forgiveness of God that you forgive everybody who has harmed you? And his biographer said, after a long pause, Andrew Jackson gave in to the power of grace in his life. The next Sunday, he knelt at the altar. His 
battle-weary 70-year-old body and tears streamed in rivulets down his face, tears of joy and penitence as he received the Lord's Supper for the very first time. Who can come to the Lord's table? Who is welcome at this table today? You'll know something about whom you're willing to forgive by whether or not you're willing to invite them back to your table. And the thing about Christians is we not only forgive, we restore relationship because we have been restored. Let me show you in Galatians chapter six. We studied last Sunday night. Uh, John Music preached a great sermon on forgiveness. You can pick it up online, I assume. I think it's available online. Did a masterful job and and, and Ephesians 4.32 says we're supposed to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. I think one step beyond forgiving, the next step is not just to release them, that's what forgive means, but to restore them to right relationship, which is exactly what God has done for us. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord together. Galatians Chapter 5, I'm going to start reading with verse 22. Uh, He has just told them not to continue in sin. And then he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, patience, another word for that, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, is that you? have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The church in Galatia was a mess. Two major issues. One issue was legalism. The Judaizers were trying to be legalistic with the Gentiles who had become Christians and to say to them, yeah, you are citizens of the kingdom, but you're second class citizens. Until you become Jewish, you can't really become a Christian. And Paul takes that on and says, so here's the deal. If you change the gospel, you're actually removing the gospel because it's not good news anymore if we have to earn God's grace by keeping some kind of standards outside simply confessing our faith in Christ. And so there's the problem with the, with the legalistic, but there's also the problem with the libertines. And we see that in Galatians chapter five when he says, so you've got this freedom in Christ, but don't use that freedom to harm other people. Don't think anything goes because now you're a Christian. You can do whatever you want to do because God forgives. That's his job. No, Paul said, no, 
You have not only received the spirit by faith, but the spirit has has caused you to be able to enter into a relationship whereby you call God Abba, Father. That's in chapter four, verse six. And he says, you you live by the spirit. The spirit has produced this fruit in you. Now keep in step with the spirit. Live spiritual lives. The thing about spiritual people, as I understand it from Galatians, is that spiritual people are holy, but we're not holier than thou. So we're not legalistic and we also don't practice uh, liberty, anything goes. And, and Paul's answer to both, the both the problems in the church at Galatia is the gospel, the good news that, that we are worse off than we thought we've all sinned and that we are more loved than we've ever dreamed. God committed his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't we got cleaned up and then he loved us. He loved us and cleaned us up so that we could live in relationship with him. So this is what God does. He not only forgives us, releases us from our sins, but he restores us to real relationship with the Father. One of my favorite uh, pastoral titles on the desk of a pastor in New Mexico for many years as he served a church there, it simply said on his desk, uh, Charles Hobson, and then beneath that his title, Kisser of Frogs. Now, just um, think about the image for a moment. Um, you don't really want to kiss a frog, but just the image of, you know, if you kiss a frog, it becomes a prince. Um, if, if we are kissed by the grace of God, we become children of God. We are transformed by the grace of God. And here's my concern about some of us in this room. We're saying, yeah, I forgive that person, but I don't want anything to do with them. So what that means is we've released them, but we've not restored them to right relationship. We don't want God to treat us that way. So why would we treat each other that way? I'm not saying allow a person who has abused or harmed you to abuse or harm you. But I am saying that if you and I are still saying, do you ever say this? I'm not mad at them. I'm just hurt. So I'm not going to have anything to do with them. Yeah, that's not restoring the relationship that is sort of uh, nurturing and holding on to our pain and our anger. And believe me when I say nothing good will come in your life through that. National Geographic last year said that the way people have expressed community for years and years is the breaking of bread. They found uh, a sort of petrified loaf of bread and it had markings on it, which showed that it was baked to be shared. And so God invites us back to his table by grace. He forgives us. And as we receive that grace, we have to restore others as well because we have been restored. Listen to what he says to them because the alternative to restoring somebody on the one hand or absolutely rejecting them on the other is the middle path, which is we tolerate them. That's a good word in our culture, tolerance. We ought to be tolerant of other people. I just wonder when he says brothers and sisters in chapter six, verse one, isn't he saying that in families, tolerance is not enough. You could try it in your own family. I'm not going to, but you could try it. You could turn to your spouse this week sometime and say, oh, honey, I tolerate you. It's not going to be good. I'll just give you a forewarning that that's not enough. And Christ didn't go to the cross and die for us so that you and I could tolerate each other. And so he says, brothers and sisters, you who are spiritual, 
You who have the spirit of God, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking about the super spiritual, a special elite group of Christians. You who are ministers, you who are deacons, you are supposed to restore. No, he says you who are living. I love the new NIV who are living by the spirit. The spirit brought you to life. You live by the spirit. You need the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And as God produces those in you, and by the way, it'll take all of those in you to be able to restore another person gently, meekly is the word, strength under control, and mindfully, humbly, because you could be tempted as well. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, the word literally means they're sort of surprised. You're surprised they're sinning. And the truth is the way that reads in Greek, they're kind of surprised too. And the sin, interestingly, is not hamartia, they missed the mark. Uh, They were trying to get in trouble, though we sometimes do that, right? No, it literally means they've sort of slipped into sin. Let me just kind of make that difference, that distinction for us today, because sometimes we're trying to get in trouble. I know this this week because we opened the cage of our our dainty, delicate bruiser of a Labrador uh, Paisley, the puppy, and apparently all night long she had been staring at um, a roll of paper towels and um, no amount of water or good food could deter her. She was going to destroy that roll of paper towels. She was what we say at our house, trolling for trouble. I mean, we've, we've, you know, she's Paisley Brooks. Now we've got her middle name, Trouble, Paisley T. Brooks, because she's trolling. She's looking to get in trouble. And I suppose we have days like that. I think about those 37 million who joined a website intending to have an affair. I, I would call that trolling for trouble. And I mean, who's ever going to find that out unless a, a hacker uh, reveals all the names of all the people? And then we know what trouble really is, Right. That's one example. But the other example I think he's talking about is that person who really probably wasn't planning to get in trouble that day. Most people I know don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to wreck my life. Most people I know don't say that. But nevertheless, with surprising regularity, we get into trouble. We walk down a a street that has a hole in it and we fall in. And we say, how in the world did I get in here? How How did this happen to me. My, my friend, Carrie Tillman, who preached for me this summer, sings with his beautiful mellifluous voice uh, that song that says, the chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? That song asked the question that Paul is trying to convey to the Galatians and to us. We know people who have slipped and fallen. Sometimes that someone is us. And he says, if you're spiritual, your work is to restore that person, to make them right. Not just to tolerate them. Can I show you toleration? Toleration is David with Absalom. So Absalom kills his brother Amnon and David is really angry about that as any father would be if one son killed another son. And for a season, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 13 that Absalom runs to his grandfather's house in Gesher where his mom grew up and and he runs uh, up there to hide for three years. But there comes a time when David, I would say David forgives him. So he releases him from the penalty because the penalty would be if you kill somebody, you get killed. And David doesn't want to kill his other son. 
And so it says his heart goes out to him, but he doesn't bring him home. And eventually he kind of gets his arm twisted by Joab, his general, and a lady who tells a, a sad story and he realizes what he's done. And so he says, my son can come home. But watch this in 2 Samuel chapter 14. David says, okay, he can come home, but he has to go to his own house and he can't see my face. So how were the meals at the palace in those days? Yeah, they, they were missing Absalom. So he hadn't restored him, has he? He's forgiven him, not gonna kill him, but he can't see my face. He can't eat at my table. There's room for, by the way, Jonathan's son Mephibosheth at David's table, but there's not room for his own son who made a grievous mistake. And eventually this will cost David dearly. So tolerate. My, my friend Calvin Miller used to say, um, tolerance is the flabbiest virtue. Say, oh, I tolerate that. I'm, we're going to be more tolerant. That's not saying much. Christians say we love. We love sinners because we are sinners. We love all sinners, by the way. We love Muslims. We love Hindus. We love Americans. We love people who are atheists. We love everybody. Why? You know why we do? Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for all of us. And I can't afford to hate somebody that God loves. Are you with me? So we don't just tolerate other people. No, we love, we openly love because while we were still sinners, uh, God loved us. And it's just so easy to slip into old patterns. Our problem, Mark Twain said, is this. It's not, it's not our, our memory problem that we forget things. It's that, that we don't forget some things. The inability to forget is infinitely more devastating than the inability to remember. We're all gonna deal with the inability to remember if we live long enough, but we got the inability to forget right now. And so we may have released somebody, but we've not restored them. Watch, watch what he's teaching us here. He says, you who are spiritual, you who actually have the Holy Spirit living in you. That would be if you're a Christian. Now he says, keep in step with the Spirit. And what does the Spirit produce in us? The very first of those fruit of the spirit is love. It's not just first in order. It's first in importance. It's first in priority. It has primacy. Why? Because if we love, then we will have joy. Then we will have peace. We got to get the first one before we can get the rest of them. The fruit of the spirit intentionally in order is love. Because when we love other people, then when we catch them in a sin, we're not the people who say, gotcha. We're the people who say we've been forgiven and through Christ, you can be forgiven as you turn to him and find his grace, you can be forgiven, you can be restored. I think the New Testament story that sort of uh, illustrates this for us is when Peter denies Jesus three times and then even after the resurrection, he goes fishing again. He thinks in his shame, God can't use me anymore. After the mistake I made, even though Jesus is risen from the dead, that look, the power of restoration, by the way, is the resurrection. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can restore us and we can restore each other. If he can overcome death, then we can overcome our anger and our ill will toward people for sure. That's what the spirit is producing in us. And, and, and Peter just can't believe it. And what's interesting is I just want you to notice this. I just saw this for the first time this week after reading the Bible for the last 40 something years that Jesus prepared a meal before him before he asks him if he loves him. See, we think our repentance earns God's kindness. We know better, but we still act like our repentance earns God's kindness. But Romans 2, 4 says, kindness leads us 
to repentance. So in 21 verse 9, Jesus is on the seashore preparing a meal for Peter. And then when Peter swims to shore, because he's got to show Jesus how much he loves him. So he's got to jump overboard because Peter was always going overboard in one way or another. And he, he, he swims to shore while the other ones bring the boat. See how much I love you, Lord. And after the meal, Jesus says to him three times, do you love me? And then I love what Jesus says to him after he says he loves him. He says, okay, so feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. I'm not finished with you yet. Now Peter's got a little envy going with, with John. So he says, what about him? And remember what Paul says in Galatians, don't provoke one another like you're superior to them. So you pick a fight with them so you can show that you're better. Don't envy them out of your inferiority and say, well, what about them? Don't you love them more? No, no. Here's the thing. Restore one another. And Jesus restores Peter to service. Somebody in my family got a, a driver's permit recently. And um, we've done this before. This is the third time. And what's interesting about that is, um, you know, learning to drive takes patience. I mean, just for the people who are working with that and, and, uh, and she's doing great. But I read this week about Ann Graham Lotz's daughter and the, uh, Ann Graham Lotz, uh, who's the daughter of Billy Graham. And the first time she took the family car down the mountain in North Carolina, she ran right into Mrs. Pritchard's car. And she didn't want to tell her dad. And so she avoided him all day long. And then she was walking down a hallway and he was coming the other way and there was no avoiding Billy Graham and Ann Graham Lotz put her arm around her dad's neck and started crying and said, I ran into Mrs. Pritchard's car this morning. And Billy Graham said, I know. Mrs. Pritchard drove straight up the hill to tell me. I've known all day long and I love you and we can get the car fixed. And it may be as you learn from this that you'll be a better driver than you would have been. And Ann Graham Lotz says, yeah, we all have wrecks. And my dad taught me the love of the Heavenly Father by showing me that I could be restored. I could be completely forgiven and I was still his daughter. Just, just follow the pattern here. David doesn't bring Absalom to the table. It ends up in disaster. Jesus brings Peter to the table. Okay, one more example. Here it is. Here it is. It's the prodigal son. Joshua uh, preached about this earlier this summer. He's preaching tonight, but earlier this summer when I was out of town, he preached about the, the prodigal son and the amazing love of the father and the son, knowing all he's done, this wayward son who has wasted his dad's money on wild living comes home, but he's not expecting to be a son. He just wants to be a slave. Don't have to live in the house, dad. I'll just live in the bunkhouse. I, I don't have to... Uh, look like a son or act like a son. I'd just love to be your slave, but the dad will have none of it. He sees his son up the road and he comes running to his dad. How undignified that would have been and says, give him the best robe we have and put a ring on his finger and put shoes on his feet because all of God's children have shoes and kill the fattened calf. Why? Because we're going to have a celebration of my son's restoration. He was dead and now he's alive. Look, it wasn't that we were bad and Jesus is trying to make us good. We were dead and he's made us alive. Shouldn't we celebrate that? And here's what I love. There's grace for the son who was wayward and went away from home, but there's also grace for the son who stayed home and resented it. And maybe that's who we are today. If you're not the libertine, you might be the legalist. But here's the amazing thing. That father of the prodigal son who looks a lot like the heavenly father, if you look closely, 
That father of the prodigal son had room at his table for the libertine who came home. But he goes back outside the house while his son's fuming and won't come inside because he's mad because his dad forgave his brother and says, there's room at the table for you too. So God's got grace for all gears today. I don't know where you are, but I know the rest of that Stuart Hamblin song that my friend Carrie Tillman sings. It says, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And I came this morning to tell you there is room at God's table for you. So be sure to make room at your table for that person that you say you've forgiven, but you just can't be right with. Because I can promise you this. They're waiting to see if believers in Jesus practice what we have experienced in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for amazing grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace. Father, we have tasted and seen that you are good. So Lord, don't let us live with that bitter taste of unforgiveness in our mouths. Not when we can eat at your table. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us back to the table, for making room for us in your heart. And we ask God that as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, that you would continue to transform our hearts until we're not only forgiven, but forgiving. Until we're not only restored, but restorers of those who are broken. Help us, Lord, I pray, to to reset the broken bones, to mend the torn nets, to restore the ones we know who have slipped and fallen. In Jesus' name. Amen.